Welcome back to the Crash Course Podcast. My name is Craig Crash Collins, joined as always by Brandon Scott, otherwise known as B. Scott. We've got a lot to talk about tonight. I say that every week, but we really do have a lot to talk about. Um, we're going to talk about the Colts. They just cannot win season openers. That streak continues against the Seattle Seahawks. We're going to break down that matchup. Um, and then we're also going to talk some college football storylines, talk about the Pac-12, the Big 12, the Big 10, get into some of the big news there. And then we're also going to bring back a segment uh, that we used to do back in the OG days. It's called Last Call where we just kind of sound off about a topic um, that is near and dear to us or something that stood out to us. Um, so a lot to get to. We'd spent the last like three weeks doing pre football previews. Now it's finally nice to get back into the nitty gritty of the season. B Scott, how did you enjoy uh, your football weekend? You know, it was, it was busy with family obligations and whatnot, but, you know, it was good to be able to watch meaningful football as far as the NFL goes, uh, watch some good college football. It was a good weekend. It's only going to get better. Yeah, especially because next week we'll be talking about it, uh, the Purdue-Notre Dame game uh, coming up. Eight-point road dog. Right. I mean, you have a, a, you know, a Notre Dame team that just barely squeaks by Toledo, similar to what uh, Ball State was able to do. Uh, in South Bend a couple of years ago. So that should be very exciting. Um, but let's go ahead and just get right into it here. Um, oh, by the way, my football weekend, I definitely, uh, you know, left work a little bit early yesterday to watch the Colts game. And so that was, uh, you know, wish I wasn't watching. Right. Well, I mean, they knew about it. I told them, I said, uh, I'm leaving. Geez, I'm going to go watch I'm the leaving. Colts. <laughs> I'm going to go watch the Colts lose. Um, and that is exactly what they did. Um, the Colts lose the season opener as we shift over there. Uh, the Seahawks win 28 to 16 summary of the game. Uh, the Colts were down 14 to three early on, but Carson Wentz throws his first touchdown as a Colt to Zach Pascal, a 10 yard touchdown throw. It makes it 14 to 10 Seahawks. Then, uh, probably, I mean, I would say, not necessarily a dagger, but definitely a momentum changer of, a, a, you know, play that'll take the wind out of your sails. The Colts have the Seahawks on second and 20 Russell Wilson heaves a long 69 yard touchdown pass. Nice. Um, he gets the, uh, they get the 21 to 10 lead um, at halftime does Seattle. Um, and then late, in the game, fourth quarter, Wilson hits DK Metcalf for a touchdown to make it 28 to 10 Seahawks. The Colts did score a touchdown in garbage time. Um, and that brings us to the 28 to 16 final score. Looking at the Colts statistics, Carson Wentz, 25 for 38, 251 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, Zach Pascal, four catches. Not yeah, not bad at all. I mean, you know, you look. I honestly, the only critique um, that I have of Carson Wentz is it looked like he held on to the football a little bit too long. I think um, that was on the wide receivers, though. You think so? And I mean, as far as losses on opening weekend goes, I mean, this is an opponent that's like, I feel like if they played an, a, Better than any, last year's opening season right. loss. Exactly. So, like, you know, you, last year you had uh, the Jaguars. That was literally the only win that the Jaguars had all season. Uh, the year before was the Chargers, which, I mean, that was, uh, I don't, I mean, that was the last year that Phillip Rivers was in uh, San Diego or LA. So, uh, mm -hmm. you know, that they weren't, 
you know, world the beaters. They were in that one right till the very end. They right. Actually, didn't it go to overtime or almost went to overtime? Something, something like that. Um, and then you Austin have the year before. Just went off. Right. And then yeah. you had the year before uh, they lost the Bengals. So, like, of the first week opponents, like, this is the toughest one the Colts have faced. So, like, it's – yes, it goes down, obviously, in the lore of the Colts can't win on opening weekend. But, I mean, this was going to be a straight, tough matchup. Eight straight opening weekend losses. Yeah. I mean, 20 – was that 2013? I wonder who they played in 2013 to open the season. I don't remember. Yeah. Um, so, there you go, B. Scott get on that real quick and see. Cause yeah, I mean, you know, so yeah, I mean, it makes you feel a little bit better about it because I mean, it, it was a playoff team. Now it doesn't get any easier next week, uh, but the Seahawks. Um, so the last time they won was an opening weekend win was against the Oakland Raiders and it was 21, 17. Yeah. Uh, was that at home or in Oakland? It was, it was at home. Okay. I think they proceeded I to lose the following week to the Miami dolphins. So like I'm blanking on this season, but um, so it was 2013. So it was, so was that the first year of luck or the second year of luck? I think it was first year. Cause he was, yeah, it was, Man. it was first year. No, no, no. Second. It was second year. I gotcha. So, I mean, yeah, you have to go back to the early oh, Andrew luck era to get the even been third. No, because he got drafted in 2012, I feel like. So it would have been a second year. Yeah, Yeah. second year. So, uh, but yeah, looking at the Seahawks statistics, Russell Wilson, 18 for 23, 254 yards and four touchdowns. Tyler Lockett, he has these games. If you're a fantasy owner for Tyler Lockett, he has these games where he just goes off uh, four catches, 100 yards and two touchdowns. And then DK Metcalf, uh, four catches for 60 yards and a touchdown. Um, And so looking at this game, I mean, the Colts can't win on, on kickoff weekend. We talked about it, you know, a ton. Um, but, you know, because of that, my glass is half full rather than half empty. The Colts were 11. Uh, well, the Colts were 11th last season in fourth down efficiency, 61 and a half percent. They were 0 and 3 on Sunday. Um, they when when they were down 21 to 10, they fumbled on fourth and one at the Seattle 31, which I mean, if they get that, the drive continues. Maybe they get, you know, if you just get a field goal out of that one, it cuts the lead uh, down to eight. You're still in the ball game. I mean, obviously, when you don't get a fourth down, especially when you're driving in the other opponent's territory, like it's kind of a double edged sword because like you don't really like give up terrible field position, but it does take the wind out of your sails because, you know, especially when it's fourth and short like that. Um, and then you have um, a fourth and two from the Seattle 18 where Carson Wentz gets sacked. So, I mean, you get maybe, uh, you know, a couple of field goals on that. I mean, at least two field goals on that drive. You don't have to kick the, uh, you don't have to go for two. So you, uh, on the last touchdown. So that's, I mean, that puts you at 17, that puts you at 23. I mean, you're right. 23, 28 against the playoff team. Maybe the story is a little bit different. Maybe, you know, the score is a little bit different. So um, they were, you know, they're usually pretty good on fourth down, weren't good on Sunday. So you expect the Frank Reich team to right the ship there. The Colts were second last season against the run. They allowed uh, 90 and a half yards per game on Sunday. They allowed 140 yards rushing. So, I mean, they allowed more rushing yards than they had, you know, than they typically allow, uh, which, allowed you know obviously and you know it'll if you can run the ball effectively it does open things up for the passing game as well um and speaking of the passing game the colts allowed 241 yards on sunday 
Um, and, uh, you know, if you go back to last season when they were, you know, which they were 20th against the pass, um, they allowed 242 yards a game. So, I mean, I saw, especially early on on Twitter about how bad the secondary was playing. I was like, you know, it's not necessarily performing any worse than it did last season. Um, at least in the first game of the season, um, talking about really the only critique on Wentz for me was he held on to the ball too long at times, but we do forget he didn't play all preseason. Um, he was, and so like without having played this any, is technically of the, his first game, and like he barely played last year too. Right. So I mean, finally healthy, finally gets an opportunity to play uh, for the first time in a Colt uniform preseason or regular season. Um, he looked solid, um, and then like I said before, Seahawks are a playoff team and one of the best, if not the best, division in the NFL. Lockett has some of these weeks where he can go off. I mean, it's not super crazy to think that the Colts would lose week one again to the Seahawks. The Seahawks are a good team. Like I said, probably the best week one opponent the Colts have had in this stretch, or at least during the stretch while also under Frank Reich. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also another silver lining is that we mentioned it before we went live. Uh, every team in the AFC South lost except for the Texans, and that's because they played the Jaguars. So, I mean, the only conference win was inside the conference and not by a team that you expect to go on to win the uh, division. Uh, the Titans got obliterated by the Cardinals. The Colts lose to the Seahawks, and then, of course, the Jaguars lose to the Texans. So, uh, hey, I think – I, I got to say, I think my pick of the Cardinals to the, winning the Super Bowl or making the Super Bowl – Looking pretty good right now. After and my pick of having the Bills win the Super Bowl is looking not too good right now. They lose to the Steelers week one. Um, but yeah, so I, I think overall, you know, I don't and, and, and what's funny too is I don't think people are really hitting the panic button, which they shouldn't anyway. It's week one, but like you know, people aren't really, I think, getting too worried because of all the Colts woes week one. But this is like kind of why you should still be like still in it, still excited, ready for week two, because the Colts despite the loss still played well. Right. And the only thing is the reason people may be hitting the panic button is because the two areas that looked the worst were supposed to be two areas of strength for this team, the offensive line and the defense. Now I will say the defense made some really good adjustments at halftime and they came out in the second half and they were playing much better. I guess as I was watching it with my dad and I said, I bet Matt Eberflus lit into them in the locker room and it really fired up the two big leaders in Darius Leonard and DeForest Buckner because those guys played really well in the second half. And again, I'll say this, I said it during the preseason preview for these guys. I think the biggest loss for this team and it's going to show on defense is still Anthony Walker, Bobby Okariki. He's good. He's athletic and everything, but he is not as smart of a football player. His football IQ, I don't think is as high as Anthony Walker's was. Yeah, Anthony Walker wasn't the most talented athlete out on the field, but he was kind of like a Gary Brackett. Gary Brackett wasn't the most talented athlete on the field, but Gary Brackett just read the offenses very well, read, he controlled the defenses. And that's what Anthony Walker was essentially doing for the Colts. And you could see there was something missing and that I, I felt like that was the, the big, a big key component that was missing. Uh, yeah, because Darius Leonard can be a leader, but he's more of a lead by example, I feel like, than like direct the team in this, the certain direction. 
Like, whereas Anthony Walker was that type of player. So that, I mean, that's a big blow. Um, the biggest concern for me, two biggest concerns. One, I mean, I feel like the defense will get there. They were without Xavier Rhodes. They played much better in the second half. They were applying, they got a lot of pressure on Russell Wilson. Um, the run game will come. You got to, rem- I mean, it's, it's, it's still game one. So I'm not as worried about the defense. The two things that concern me though, the offensive line, because they just look, they were overmanned. They got manhandled in the trenches. And that's not something we've seen recently from this offensive line. I told my dad, I was like, this looks like we're watching an offensive line from early on in the Andrew Luck era, where every play he was just running for his life. I felt that it felt very similar to that. And I know, like I said, I mentioned off air, like, hey, Braden Smith re-aggravated a foot injury that he had in the preseason. So that may be a reason for the right side, the left side. You, you only, you, you know, you had Julian Davenport starting at tackle. Eric Fisher will be a definite upgrade. Center though, Ryan Kelly had a rough day. Um, I think that false start or the encroachment on the defense at one point where they ju- they jumped on the hard count and basically bull rushed Ryan Kelly. That summed up Ryan Kelly's day. Um, the, the offensive line is concerning, though, because, I mean, one piece, yeah, it's a big deal, but th- they all just looked to be overpowered. Now, I, I maybe I'm looking too much into it. It may just be because, you know, a lot of them were out quite a bit of the preseason with co- uh, contact tracing from COVID or with injuries. I mean, this was I – mean, Quentin Nelson wasn't – this isn't that far removed from the same foot surgery that Carson Wentz had. So – you know, they got to take a little bit of time to get gelled back together. So, uh, you know, that I can see. The other one for me, though, was the wide receivers. I mean, yeah, you said Carson Wentz was holding on to the ball for a long time, which was good and bad. Good because at that point, maybe the offensive line wasn't letting defenders through super quick. But the wide receivers were getting zero separation. Zero. And it, that was, that's a little bit concerning because without T.Y. Hilton, I mean, it's not like he's coming through those doors anytime soon. And they need to figure that out. I, I did like seeing uh, Michael Strong play and he comes out, it gets targeted and he makes a big catch. I liked seeing that. Um, I was disappointed in Mo Alley Cox's play. Um, Jack Doyle played pretty well. I'll give him that. But the, the- I was going to say, I was very excited to see Jack Doyle have a good performance. I know he was kind of like out of uh, like out of the mix last year. So yeah, and I am interested to see how this run game fares once they get Marlon Mack back into the groove of things because they really only seem to run Jonathan Taylor and Naheem Hines, who by the way just got paid. He is now one of the top tenth highest paid running backs in the league. Good for him. But I will. I do want to point out at one point, I don't know how many times he did it, but at one point he lined up out wide in a position that T.Y. Hilton would usually line up in. And I said, watch for Naheem Hines to have a big part in the, in the passing game with T.Y. Hilton now. I would like to see more of that because I think they targeted him and he did pretty well. Um, I would like to see more of that because I feel like if somebody's going to be able to get that kind of separation, it will be him. I did like I there was positives in the receiving core. Like Paris Campbell looked pretty good. Zach Pascal, Zach Pascal. 
Um, I just I just need to see more urgency out of that unit in trying to help Carson Wentz and give get some something open because this there was just nothing, and a lot of those times. So that that is those are the two key things for me that are concerning. I'm not hitting the panic button by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, looking back through their schedules from the past eight years of these opening losses, majority of them, they actually started 0-2. And And looking at their schedule this year, I wouldn't be the least bit surprised to see them start 0-2, especially with how good the Rams looked. But I don't know if that's how good the Rams looked or how bad the Bears looked. Um, Yeah. I was going to say that was... I would not be the least bit surprised to see them start 0-2. One-and-one would be great just knowing just how the Colts are. So. Yeah, I was. The nice thing is, these first two games are not against division opponents. I mean, yeah, you want to see him win, but the first two games are also against NFC opponents. So I'm not, I'm not too concerned in the grand scheme of things. You lose two games to NFC opponents, whatever. You know, you 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 still have all six games against your division opponents, and in the end, those are the ones that truly matter because you're you're not contending for home field advantage. You just need a spot in the in the playoffs. Yeah, NFC opponents also from arguably the best uh, division oh, yeah. in <laughs> in the NFL. And yeah, like you said, doesn't get any easier next week. Rams defeat the Bears 34 to 14. Matthew Stafford, 20 of 26 for 321 yards and three touchdowns. Now, the good news is if you're a Colts fan, is that they like you said, they did play the Bears. We don't know how good that Bears uh, you know, team actually is. Now their defense who is usually pretty good did you know allow Stafford to have a big day and then of course the Rams have a pretty good defense as well so it doesn't get any easier you do get them at home um but i think there's some promising signs that may lead you to believe they can maybe pull off a win next week against uh the Rams yeah i'm i'm hoping it'd be it'd be nice um still I'm not 100% sold on Matthew Stafford i feel like somewhere he's going to trip up um but yeah, it'll be interesting just because, like I said, is it the Rams are that good or is I it mean, the Bears are that bad? You also couldn't have asked uh, for a better game to get Matthew Stafford reacclimated to or to a new team. A Seventy-four yard touchdown. Well, right, but also the fact that you're playing in LA first game at home, so you're at home, ruckus crowd, ready to go, and then you He's also. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, it doesn't hurt that you play a team that you literally played like twice a season for the last like what he was drafted in 2008. So the last like 13 years, you know, 12, 13 seasons doesn't hurt <laughs> to, to be like, hey, first game of the year, you get to play the Bears uh, and you get to carve up an opponent that you're very familiar with. So, I mean, now he's back in the groove of things and we'll see if uh, that translates to uh to the Rams being two and zero, if it means the Colts can get their first uh, win on the season, um, it's at home, right? So they do they literally have their no, no, they go on the road against Tennessee. I was like, man, do they have the first three games on the road? But they go around at home, but they do go on the road to Tennessee. So we'll see what happens. I mean, now I'm really uh, excited, nervous about the uh, Cardinals game with how lo- <laughs> how good they look on Sunday. So uh, we will see what the Colts are able to do. But now let's go ahead. Uh, before we get into our college football conversation, let's go ahead and talk about our friends of the show. Are you tired of your same old lunch hour of sitting and scrolling through your apps and your smartphone? Have you thought about playing a board game with your coworkers? Eat Lunch and Board Game is a podcast dedicated to telling you about board games that are great for lunchtime fun 
and some that are probably better saved for after work hours. I've been playing games at my office for over four years now where I have made new friends and business connections that have been very useful. Board games build bridges. We want to get back into the college football storylines because there are a few cropping up early here in the season, and it's got me very excited. I'm sure as you excited as well, B. Scott. The big news of the weekend uh, was number 12, Oregon, going into Columbus and beating number three, uh, Ohio State, 35 to 28. Um, That's not the only big upset that the – Pac-12 has able has been able to get UCLA uh, upset LSU week one 38 to 27 LSU was number 16 at the time um, and then also Arizona State uh, has stayed undefeated and they are uh, number 19 in the country so right now I don't think because the reason why they were at 0.5 percent when we did our over unders was because I don't think they had any team in the top 20 maybe except for Oregon um, and uh, I think uh, Oregon Arizona or in the top 20 okay yeah. 20. Yeah, Oregon, I think, was 12, and that was it Um, because UCLA wasn't ranked, and uh, uh, Arizona State may have been, but if they were, they weren't in the top 20. Um, Now, you think, oh, hey, that's really cool that the Pac-12 has some good teams. Like, how's the rest of the conference doing? Well, not the greatest. Uh, You do have – Like I just said, um, I think – did I say it on air or did I say it off air? I don't know. Uh, You know, USC fired their head coach today. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah. USC fires Clay Helton, so uh, we'll, losing to Stanford, right? Which is odd because Stanford's a conference opponent. So, like, I yeah. guess you can kind of understand it from the standpoint of like, oh, well, you were. <laughs> it's it literally shows you the expectations that USC had because they were like, okay, well, Clay, you're it's. Pac-12 championship or bust this year, dude. Like you got to the Pac-12 championship last year. Uh, you were supposed to beat Oregon. Oregon kind of Oregon only was in that game because Washington couldn't because of COVID. And so um, <laughs> then Oregon goes in and beats you, knocks you out um, of any like I don't know if they would have really been in a New Year's. Well, yeah, they would have because Oregon was. So um, you know, so they're like, okay. It's Pac-12 title or bust, dude. And the second that he loses his first game in conference, they're like, "All right, get out of here. We don't, we don't want you here anymore." So it'll be interesting to see. I mean, as someone who was very annoyed when he was growing up, watching you know USC go from Carson Palmer. Oh, you know what? It's it's you know they they can't possibly have another quarterback waiting in the wings. Oh, hey, look, it's Matt Liner. Okay, Matt Leinart's gone. Well, they can't possibly have another quarterback waiting in the wings. Oh, it's John David Booty who's going to have one really good, awesome year. Oh, like so, it was just quarterback Sam Darnold, just uh, Mark Sanchez, just quarterback after quarterback that they were you know churning out and having good seasons. You know, it's kind of like how I felt about Ohio State. Like I used to not really like Ohio State. You should not really like USC, but the college football landscape is better when those two teams are firing on all cylinders. So USC, will see what they can do. Hopefully they can figure it out at some point because it feels like it feels like there's certain college football powers that have just been in the state of limbo for like the last, like each, each have lost like a long time, good, successful head coach and neither have, and none of them have really been back to uh, the precipice of college football glory, whether that be, you know, Texas loses Mac Brown. They've not been the same since uh, Lloyd Carr retires from Michigan. They've not been the same since uh, USC loses Pete Carroll, which obviously there was all, all the, the extracurriculars that, <laughs> that were surrounding that, that 
led to that departure, but still haven't really been the same since he departed. So, um, I mean, we'll see. Maybe, maybe one of those teams will will be back to the back to uh, prominence soon. But yeah, you have Montana beating number twenty Washington uh, week one. Uh, Montana wins thirteen to seven, and then you have uh, BYU uh, defeating Arizona, and then number twenty one Utah throwing that out there too because the uh, Craig Crash Wheel of Misery TikTok only content. Um, the BYU Cougars won uh, to be the first team to uh, win from that little segment that I do on uh, TikTok. So. Um, but yeah, so it leads us to this question after a solid couple of weeks of play from the Pac-12. Is the Pac-12 or, or the, the Pac-12 is a real contender for a playoff spot, hot or cold? And I think they are. Um, I mean, it's it's really exciting to see the Pac-12 be better because again, especially it's a breath of fresh air. Because of all the turmoil that's going on right now with the Big Twelve, not knowing what they're going to look like here in a couple of years, I mean, uh, we were just got well, right, right, and we'll talk like, about that here more, uh, more later. Um, but not really knowing what that conference is going to look like as far as like you know problem promise, like because well, and I guess I guess saying at least this much. What the Big 12, even right now, even after adding those four teams, looks like there is a chance it could be the next like Pac-12, as far as like how we viewed it before the season. We were talking about losing another major competitor in the college football like playoff landscape, um, you know, because Oklahoma is the only team that's ever made it for the Big 12. There's been no other Big 12 representative, so now that Oklahoma is moving to the SEC there's literally no playoff caliber team that the big 12 can hang their hat on. And that's what I'm more or less saying is that it's the same with the pac 12, where there's really not one team, except if Oregon's not good, then they're not getting in uh, to the college football playoff. So um, it's nice to see the pac 12 starting to get better. Now, when you looked at ranked versus ranked matchups for the rest of the season, you do have Arizona state at UCLA on October 2nd. The winner will be the uh, front runner for the pac 12 South. Arizona State has lost two straight versus the Bruins and hasn't won in Pasadena since 2015. So that, uh, so I mean, thinking that UCLA will win that matchup, that would set up Oregon at UCLA on October 23rd. Oregon has won eight of the last 10 matchups versus UCLA. UCLA's last win versus the Ducks was October 2017 in Pasadena. Uh, and then maybe the Pac 12 championship will also be ranked versus ranked. Um, Oregon has won the last two. Uh, Pac-12 championships and their 4-0 and Pac-12 title games. So, like, they're be- I think the best shot is Oregon. What I really, th- um, what I'm afraid of is that they all just beat each other. <laughs> like Arizona State beats UCLA, um, but loses to somebody else along the line. Let's say just they say Arizona. You have like uh, Oregon loses to UCLA, or like or UCLA. Yeah, that's what. It is. Yeah, so UCLA. Uh, loses to Oregon, but then beats Oregon in the in the Pac-12 championship game. Like so, they go one and one against each other, or something that would like just knock them out. Like I want one of those two teams to make it in, just to make it interesting. I know they'll just probably get blown out by Alabama anyway. It doesn't really matter, but like that's what I want to see. I want to see the Pac-12 be in it. And looking at the other teams, they would be fighting against. Um, they would be, you know, you look at number three Oklahoma. They start two and zero. The, the, the only ranked team on their schedule 
um, is at home against number 14, Iowa State in November. So you think that and then the Big 12 championship game for them, potentially. Number six, Clemson is the front runner for the ACC. They don't play a ranked team the rest of the season until they maybe get to the ACC championship game. And in my opinion, so with those two teams kind of like controlling their own destiny and having a kind of a easier schedule to the college football playoff. then that means in my opinion, I think most likely the PAC 12 will be fighting against the big 10 uh, to get that final playoff spot. And right now that front runner looks to be at least, you know, either Ohio state or Iowa, because obviously, you know, well, right. But, uh, Iowa right now. Well, Iowa is the top rated Big Ten team, and they haven't won uh, the Big Ten the Big Ten since two thousand and four. So I think there is a very good likelihood um, that Oregon uh, uh, could could potentially, or a Pac twelve team could possibly get into the playoff conversation. So I'm, that makes me very excited. Yeah, I think this is a hot take. Um, I don't think all this madness that you're bringing up is going to happen. Um, I honestly believe that um, Oregon is the Pac-12's best chance to get back into the playoff. I mean, having that Ohio State win under their on their resume is awesome. That actually, in my opinion, as long as Oregon keeps winning, that keeps Clemson out of the picture. I mean, Clemson, they can battle back all they want, but I honestly believe Oregon's in the catbird seat there. Um, and also along the along the way, I, I I I mean I could see Alabama or Georgia slip me more so Georgia slipping up just because they're Georgia. I mean right now their defense looks unbeatable, but we'll see how that continues on. Um, the only other one that's on the outside that I think could have a chance to derail Oregon from it is Texas A and M. But heck, they even almost lost to Colorado this past weekend. So I think it's more wide open than we believe, but I think Oregon right now is the Pac-12's best bet. And the way they're playing right now, I do believe they get in if everything were to start today, uh, regardless of, you know, yeah, I know they're in the top four, but, um, or yeah, they're top. Yeah, they're fourth. Yeah. So, yeah. They're number four and UCLA is number 13. Oregon, I just believe Oregon is playing well enough right now to be able to get in there. Yeah, I agree. And I, I, I'm really excited. Part of me today has been trying to figure out like, how does the loss to Ohio state potentially hurt Oregon? Cause I feel like I'm in that state with the college football playoff committee right now, where I'm like, how could they spin zone a win over Ohio state is a bad thing for them. Cause like if Ohio state, let's say Ohio state ends up losing the big 10 and even like ends up, being like number 15 or number 16 and Oregon loses like one game, but it's still in the mix. Like how could that potentially, because if Oregon goes undefeated, like you're right, I, they either in right now because they'd be an undefeated, you know, conference champion, uh, you ace, you know, um, Clemson couldn't say that because they're 11 and one lost their only real important game of the year, uh, which sucks that it was week one for them. Um, and then you would have, I mean, you know, let's say, you know, I, you know, like, you know, what if Iowa are you like, if, cause if, if it's, yeah, I mean, I guess there, there couldn't be a way if, if they're undefeated pack 12, you know, 12 champion, but if they, if someone else kind of slips up, like that's what I was going through my mind. That's what was happening is I was like, I can't really find a way that the Ohio state loss, you know, is somehow a bad, you know, not looked at as, as good of a win. Cause right now, I mean, 
looking at the top four teams, I mean, easily that's the the best win between any of those teams so far this season. So I, I'm I'm rooting for it. I hope the Pac-12 can get back to prominence because that's what college football needs. Yeah, I agree. So moving on, we talked a little bit about the Big Ten. Uh, they've had uh, their ups and downs early in the season. We talked about Ohio State losing. That's a down for them. But the upside is that Iowa, who's ranked number five now, did defeat Iowa State 27-17 to on Saturday. Um, so hot or cold, the Big Ten's playoff ticket rests with the Hawkeyes. For me, that is a cold take, and I'll tell you why. Uh, that's the point. Um, <laughs> Ohio State. Uh, in the playoff era, has only lost twice to a non-conference opponent. Um, and, I mean, at least in the regular season. You go back to 2014, the Buckeyes lost to Virginia Tech at home. They defeated number 13 Wisconsin in the Big Ten title game and won the playoff won the title. That was the crazy Cardell Jones year. In 2017, they lost to number five, Oklahoma, but also lost to Iowa that season. They did defeat number four, Wisconsin, the Big Ten title game, uh, and they were left out of the playoff. So the only reason they were left out of the playoff is because they had two losses. Um, they're still obviously, you know, in the catbird seat as far as winning. Um, you know, if they were to win out, obviously they'd be in the Big Ten championship game, possibly against Iowa. And then you have an Iowa team that, I, as I just mentioned, hasn't won the Big Ten since 2004, which includes, uh, I think it was, what, 2014 or 2015 when they had an opportunity to get in. It was them versus Michigan State and the Big Ten championship game. Michigan State ended up upsetting them. So, I mean, they're a remaining schedule for Ohio State. They've got two ranked matchups remaining this season, October 30th versus number 10, Penn State. Penn State has lost eight of the last 10 to the Buckeyes. The last one in Columbus came in 2011. And then, of course, against Michigan. But we know that Ohio State has really owned that rivalry. Um, and then Iowa, they still play uh, number 10, Penn State. It is at home. Penn State has won six of seven uh, against Iowa. And you have October 30th at number 18, Wisconsin. Uh, Wisconsin has won seven of the last 10 games. So, I mean, even so statistically, the matchups don't su super favor the Hawkeyes. Uh, they definitely have a tougher schedule the rest of the way. And so Ohio, and Ohio State still, um, I think, has an opportunity and has a real chance. I mean, let's say they run the table. It includes a win against Penn State. It includes a win over Iowa in the Big Ten Championship game. So it's not one of those situations where even if Iowa loses, let's say, along the way, and it's still Iowa versus Ohio State, that still would be a big win for the Buckeyes and be enough to launch them into the, the championship. So, I mean, air launch them into the, the college football playoffs. So, I mean, I, it'll be interesting to see if this is the first year where a team other than Ohio state gets in. Cause it typically, if Ohio state doesn't win the big 10, then they, then nobody from the big 10 gets in. But, um, I think that's different this year. Yeah. I think it might be different this year, but I, I don't think that the Hawkeyes are the only way the big 10 gets in. Yeah, this is definitely a cold take. It's not just Iowa or bust. There is a path still for Ohio State to get there. There's a path for Iowa to get there. And there's also a path for Penn State to get there. Don't sleep on the Nittany Lions. They've looked pretty good this year. I mean, are they? I mean, uh, they did I, beat the ball, the fighting Ball State Cardinals this past yeah. weekend. So Yeah, and somebody, I hate it. Somebody said, oh, what a like Bleacher Report did winners and losers of the weekend. And one of the losers was the Mac because how bad Ball State got beat i'm like uh penn state's really really good this ball <laughs> team is still good it's right just they're not on the same level as they're, they're not a top 10 team in the country 
Yeah. <laughs> if you Penn haven't State, noticed. Penn State is a, has a good team. I, I think if I had to rank the teams of the best bet of getting into the playoff, I think of the top three teams in the Big Ten, I think I would probably put Penn State third uh, behind – Right now, I'll put Iowa ahead of Ohio State just because they are in the catbird seat after beating Iowa State with Ohio State losing to Oregon. Um, but, you know, that's just that's a constant changing top three, I have a feeling, this year, depending on week to week. But, yeah, it's definitely a cold take. There's three teams, in my opinion, that have a legitimate shot from the Big Ten. And also, the Big Ten is just – it's deep. It's getting deeper. Look, Michigan's ranked now. I mean, that Big Ten East – not easy, not easy at all. Iowa at least has a little bit more of a cakewalk in the Big Ten West. I mean, the biggest challenge is Wisconsin. Yeah. I mean, Northwestern doesn't look to be as strong. Nebraska, Nebraska's Nebraska. Illinois, oh, Minnesota is not. I mean, they lost uh, Muhammad Ibrahim already this year. They're number one running back. I mean, they barely squeaked by Miami of Ohio this past weekend. I mean, we don't know what Purdue truly is. They've, they've beaten Oregon State and UConn. So, you know, the verdict's still out on them. So right now, Iowa is sitting pretty to make a run to the Big Ten championship game. And they could be playing somebody that has been is pretty beat up from the Big Ten East. So right now, Iowa definitely has a, a, a better shot of anybody in the Big Ten to get to the playoff. But they're not the only shot for the Big Ten. Yeah, the spirit of the question was more or less, you know, because the way I was thinking of it is like usually in these situations, if Ohio State is lost, um, you know, in the, you know, Ohio State is lost just in general, it usually kicks them out of the, the running for the college football playoff. But, uh, you know, if, but as long as they can still run the table in the conference, I mean, that's, that's going to basically be what ends up happening. But well, it, it, look at Ohio State in the past, the, during the playoff era, when they lost in non conference, it was at home to Virginia Tech, right? And at home to Oklahoma. Those years, the Big Ten was not quite as deep as it has been. You know, it was maybe Michigan or maybe Penn State, like one or the other. It wasn't all of the above. So for Ohio State, that really bodes well for them that their side of the Big Ten is really good. And um, so they have an opportunity to really get some quality wins still on their schedule. I mean, it. Also, the committee, when they when it comes down to it, they're going to say they're still going to look at it. It was week two, and yeah. you lost by a touchdown. Your quarterback still threw for over five hundred yards. Also, it's a money thing, and Ohio State, you bring in lots of money, 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 yep. money. The beautiful green stuff, <laughs> and that brings us uh, sort of. Uh, at least what I'm going to get to here with uh, the last topic of conversation here in college football, which is the Big 12. They added some teams, as we mentioned a little bit earlier on in the segment. Uh, the conference votes to add BYU, Cincinnati, Houston, and UCF. BYU will join in 2023. The rest will join in 2024. As of now, this is what the Big 12 would look like. It would be Baylor, BYU, Cincinnati, Houston, Iowa State, Kansas, Kansas State, Oklahoma State, TCU, Texas Tech, UCF, and West Virginia. So um, the question is, hot or cold, adding these teams, 
uh, is enough to stabilize the Big 12. And I actually say it's a cold take, and I will tell you why. It should be a hot take. Uh, if you're talking about on the field production, just because of the quality of teams that you're adding, um, you're adding BYU, who since 2018 is 27 and 13. They finished 11th in, in the country in 2020. Cincinnati, we know about their success. They're currently number eight. Uh, they finished ranked uh, in 2018 and 2020. They won a. T- uh, they are the 2020 AAC champions. Uh, they made a Sugar Bowl appearance last season. Uh, they're 33 and six since 2018. Uh, Houston's kind of the only team that's not very good that they're adding, or at least hasn't been good lately, but is still a good name. Um, they're 15 and 18 since 2018, and then UCF. We know about them. Uh, self-proclaimed national champions from a few years ago. Um, they are 30 and eight since 2018, and they have a 2018 AAC title and Fiesta Bowl appearance. Um, and you look at some of the other teams that have left the Big 12. Texas A&M is really the only former Big 12 team with notable success since the uh, last realignment. Colorado, Missouri, and Nebraska have all struggled in their new conference. So when you look at other Big 12 teams that have left, they haven't been very successful. You look at Big 12 overall, adding more successful teams who, once they kind of get that you know, streamlined recruit. I mean, we see TCU uh, has had some success. has had a little bit of success since joining the big 12. Um, maybe not necessarily as far as, you know, competing for anything nationally, except for that first year when they tied for bait with Baylor for the big 10 or big 12 championship. Um, but I mean, we've seen some other teams have success moving um, to the big 12, getting that better uh, recruiting and that kind of thing to boost some of these programs that are already good up. So if you think about it, like, Hey, there, you know, the adding these teams boosts your conference up. It's still easier to maybe win these, this conference. Um, if you're Oklahoma state and Iowa state, this is easier to win this conference than it will be to move uh, to the big 10. If you're West Virginia, it's going to be easier to win the big 12 than it will be to move to potentially the ACC or the big 10. So it makes more sense for some of these schools to just say, okay, you know what? We're back at 12 teams, which remember they're at, they're at 10. So they can go back if they want to, to divisional play um, and have a true big 12 championship game. Um, you're, we're adding good teams. We're still basically the same regionally as what we've been. You know, this is a good move and a big move. But as we've seen uh, from what Texas and Oklahoma have done, because these still, same things also apply to them. Doesn't make sense for them to leave the Big 12. This is their best chance to win a conference and make it to the uh the college football playoff as Oklahoma has shown Oklahoma is the only big 12 representative to ever make the college football playoff. So why would you leave? Because it's all about what B Scott just talked about the green stuff, money, 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 unfortunately drives results. Yes, I am jaded now completely for the rest of humanity. Um, But but yeah, it's money, not results drives. Everything as we've seen, uh, the co- conference is also not part of any agreements. We've seen the alliance. The alliance. We don't know how strong that alliance is, but the, you know the Big Twelve hasn't agreed to anything, and no other conference has agreed to not poach any teams. So, Oklahoma State, Oklahoma State, um, West Virginia, Iowa State, number, you know whoever are still in play for these other team or for these other you know conferences to potentially poach. I mean, there's, I've heard talks about like Texas tech and the PAC 12, which that would honestly boost them quite a bit. So, I mean, 
I, I, it doesn't make sense. Just kind of like we've talked about with Texas and Oklahoma. It doesn't really make sense to lo- leave from a pure results competition aspect, but it's all about the money. So we'll see in the future. I hope it does stabilize the big 12, but I just, I'm still not convinced that we're not going to see something more happen with this. It's not just going to be, Hey, we added four teams. We're good. Now you guys good. We're good. All right, let's go forward. I wish that was the case. Cause then we could get back to talking about the 12 team playoff, which is a far superior option and would fix everything. And let's get that going as quickly as possible. Um, but I just don't see it. I'm like I said, I'm jaded. You know, I, I do like this move. Um, I'm going to say this is a hot take. You know, the Big 12 has never been a, a big power here as of late. And yeah, you're getting rid of Oklahoma, but I think now this is going to allow the conference to spread its wings. Because before it was Oklahoma and Texas and then everybody else in the pecking order. I think now it's really going to open up competition more. I think, yeah, is it, is it, are there going to be growing pains? Yeah, there's going to be growing pains. Are they going to be left out of the playoff occasion most of the time early on? Yeah, probably. But guess what? This is, I think, in the long run, this is a good thing because the, the teams that they added have had recent football success. I mean, BYU is not a slouch by any stretch of the imagination. Cincinnati is one of the better teams in the country right now. UCF was a national champion a couple of years ago. Um, I mean, Houston, I mean, that's a no-brainer. I've always, I mean, Houston, wasn't Houston originally a part of the, – It might have been part of like the Big 8 or big whatever South. it was. Yeah, Big South or Big 8, whatever it was. Eight, yeah. yeah. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I think it's actually a – a rather good move. The only one that I was kind of surprised didn't get a look maybe because they're just not there yet, but, um, SMU. I don't know. Yeah. Eh, maybe. Yeah. I mean, adding Houston, adding Cincinnati, that that's big. Um, and I think UCF as well, because one, guess what? The big 12 now has a footprint in tech in, in Florida. That's huge in recruiting because the Big 12 will now consistently come to the state of Florida and also vice versa. The state of Florida is now going to consistently come to the state of Texas. Um, It's it's big. I mean, they're in now in areas that they weren't before. And I think that's only that that this helps the conference short term. No, it's going to be rough. It's going to be it's going to be rough because they're going to have to build up their reputation because their reputation is leaving to the SEC, essentially. But I think in the long run, this is going to do very well for this conference. It's going to make it deeper, in my opinion. Do you know what program is uh, punching the air right now as far as not getting an invite to anything? Kansas? No, Kansas is actually like, man, we've been trying to break up this conference so we can leave and, and go to like the Mac or something for the last, like, at least the football side of things. Can you imagine if Kansas joined the Mac and like, because remember, basketball usually takes the back seat to everything. So that we just, so <laughs> that, that would, well, because I, it was funny is like, I used, I was making the joke when the first time realignment came around. Um, they were talking about Kansas potentially to the Mountain West because the Mountain West had BYU, Utah, 
Um, they had TCU. I think, State. yeah, I was gonna say they had, I think that was right around the time the WAC was folding. So they got um, Boise State as well. So they're like, oh, could maybe Kansas go to the Mountain West? And I was like, the other basketball schools in the Mountain West are crapping themselves right now because they're like, hey, what? We, we got to play Kansas now? What is this? And then it's funny because like some of those schools, like, the, like TCU. <laughs> also, you got to like, think about it, though. That was the way the Big 12 was for a long time in basketball, too. Yeah. Well, we got to play Kansas? <laughs> <laughs> this doesn't seem fair. I don't like this at all. Yeah. Um, no, but that's, that's the team I, I feel like is punching the air is uh, Boise State. Um, they, I feel like they've always been kind of, there was a, of course that one stretch of time where they were rumored to potentially were like right after they had Kellen Moore, maybe it was after Jared Zabransky where they were talking about them going to the big East and then like, it was a no brainer. They should join the pack 12 and then they're still in the Mountain West. So it's kind of, I could see them maybe, especially now, now the AAC is going to be looking for some teams, although they go from 11 to eight. So they may just be chilling. So uh, yeah, we'll see. They're like, we're, we're, we're good. Yeah. We don't, want, well, we don't have enough money to be able to travel over to Boise, Idaho. <laughs> everybody. Not happening. Yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah. I don't see them expanding. Right. I mean, so I, I yeah. honestly, I can see them be like, uh, we're folding. Right. <laughs> I mean, and that's, oh, that's the that's scary thing. Is, teams are gone. All right. of their good teams are gone. Yeah. Well, what I was thinking, like, if the AAC were to expand, and now we're drifting into uh, 2011 oh, Cardinal College game day here. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was like, man, could like Ball State join the AAC? Like, uh, would they're, would they're so entrenched in the MAC? That's true. Although I don't I really know that I, I, I don't really know that I want. Like Marshall I think that, right or Charlotte. You know. Yeah. Well, Liberty. I was gonna say, I think, I think, like, balls, like the MAC is a better conference to be in than the AAC, at least now. More established. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think the, the, the scary thing is, is that my like, like worst case scenario, which is like all I let myself ever think in, uh, is what could the worst case scenario be, uh, and that's that. I don't know if this move necessarily stabilizes the big 12 and then what if they become the big East and they just all disintegrate and have to go to the, you know, the respective areas. But cause what if Butler came out of the FCS, went to the FBS and they reformed the big East in football. And well, Villanova joined suit as well. Right. And I mean, talk about basketball taking the second, UConn. you know, Jump down to the F- FCS. <laughs> I mean, UConn probably at this point should. Um, but, yeah, so that's our college football conversation uh, for this week. Uh, let's go ahead now and move into uh, last call, which if you're new, which most of you, if you're watching this or listening to this, you probably don't remember. You, If you, if you do, you to repress memory, something, I don't know. Um, but yeah, they're sitting in the corner right now rocking back and forth oh god no please not last call. <laughs> we do we're gonna pull out last call um last call is a segment if you're unfamiliar uh, basically it's kind of like 
the end of uh, Sports Reporters, that old show where we just have a topic that we want to talk about, and that's what we're going to uh, sound off on, whether it's a subject that's near and dear to us or whether it's just something cool that we've seen. I kind of have uh, 1A and 1B. I couldn't think of one like specifically to like focus on, which is funny because I'm the one that texted you like, hey, should we do Last Call? Because you know, just in case you know the show, we run through the first few segments really quickly, and you're like, sure. And then I'm like, I kind of have what I want to talk about and I kind of don't. Um, so uh, one thing really, I mean, you, you have a lot of things from this past weekend that really stand out. Uh, you know, what thing, number one, one, a for me is Chris Bryant coming back to Wrigley field for the first time since being traded. That was a nice emotional moment. Uh, made me, you know, cry a little bit, crack open a beer and, you know, curse the rickets for a while. Um, now, uh, you know, in that, you know, conversation, it does make you think about what's what the Cubs do have, um, you know, because we've seen since the trade deadline, guys like Frank Schwindel and, you know, Patrick Wisdom and Rafael Ortega really blossom. So it'll be interesting to see what the Cubs have in store going forward. Um, so that was one thing that I thought of. I was, I was like one a for me and I was like, I want to give a shout out to Chris Bryant. Thank you for all he's done, uh, for the Cubs organization as he returns to Wrigley field. So that was a cool thing, but a even crazier thing happened. B Scott, you've seen the footage. I'm going to now do something we've not yet, yet done on the podcast. And my, uh, stream quality is already in the red. So I'm sure this is going to maybe push us off the air. So I guess hang tight here. Um, I'm going to show you guys the video that really caught everyone's uh, attention. And that is the video of the cat at Miami. If you haven't seen it yet, uh, we'll scroll down here. Uh, this is the original video cat just dangling for, I don't know how the cat got up there or what it's that's doing. What that's yeah. That's the whole backstory. That's the big mystery, but he's just clinging on by a thread here. I want to know who this guy in the orange shirt is that's barely reaching over and not moving in his hand is all trying to get the cat. Uh, he receives an F for effort, um, but then an amazing catch by the fan, although it wasn't really a catch. He broke the fall of the cat with the American flag. There's nothing better than that. Here's another angle of it. Um, actually, that's at the end of the video. We'll back it up now. Just crazy. Very scary. I'm glad the cat's okay. Um, but yeah, wild. Very wild incident there. Um, so crazy. Uh, shout out to the fan. Uh, Non-shout out to the uh, um, the guy who didn't reach over the edge far enough um, and, <laughs> and wasn't even trying. Uh, but shout out to the guy with the American flag. I... Uh, Twitter, the Twitterverse says he is uh, a facilities manager at Miami. Um, oh, and the, and the best moment was he held him up like Simba at the end uh, as well. So uh, a cool moment uh, out of, you know, and a happy ending to a scary situation. So a couple of things that caught uh, my eye from the weekend, B. Scott. So for me, we've talked about it quite a bit on here. You know, everything with the, N, with the new NIL name, image like this stuff. You know, we talked about like... How is it going to get out of hand? How is this going to work with, you know, is it who's going to be the first one to crack a huge contract? Well, we all found out the first one to crack a huge deal was uh, Alabama quarterback Bryce Young, who signed a deal that totals around $1 million, which isn't surprising. At that point in time, the highest 
contract or NIL agreement was to a football player on the number one team in the country. Well, not anymore. The uh, financials behind it aren't fully out there, but the new technically highest NIL agreement now goes to a wrestler of all things. Olympic gold medalist and NCAA national champion heavyweight Gable Steveson uh, recently announced that he would be returning to Minnesota for this upcoming season after winning a gold medal. He had all these options laid out in front of him. Go to the WWE, go to the UFC, go, go back to Minnesota. Well, because um, he, did, he did choose to go back to Minnesota, but he did sign an NIL agreement with the WWE He's able to do this. I would be thinking, well, wait a second. That's a wrestler going into pro wrestling. You're right. However, the WWE and pro wrestling in that era is not considered a pro sport in technical terms. It is actually considered entertainment. It is sports entertainment. So by signing a deal with the WWE, he is able to be part of promotions for the WWE, building up hype around his eventual debut within the WWE. He won't be taking any matches because obviously that would uh, conflict with competing for Minnesota. Um, but part of his deal with the WWE is also that when he does make his debut, he will be right on the main roster of the WWE, whether that's Raw or SmackDown is yet to be seen. There's options of potentially him teaming up with his brother who just signed a uh, contract with the WWE as well, even though it is most likely leaning towards um, an individual storyline where he will join up with uh, form, uh, the other former Minnesota heavyweight national champion, Brock Lesnar, and uh, longtime manager, heel, heel manager, whatever you want to call him, Paul Heyman or promoter, Paul Heyman. So the, it is going to be a very interesting to see how all of this plays out, but it is really exciting. The fact that the biggest agreement in the NIL era now goes to a wrestler rather than a football player. Never would have thought I saw that we saw that one coming, but it is pretty exciting. Um, and can't wait to see how that expands or that unfolds for a game ball, not just, this season, I mean, I don't think it's going to affect his, his wrestling at Minnesota at all, um, but it'll be interesting to watch his future into the WWE because, truthfully, covering college wrestling, Gable Stevenson is he, he is a freak athlete. I mean, come on. He won the national championship and proceeded to do a backflip, a huge, like, he just floated through the air backflip. Um, you don't see guys that way that much moving like that. And then... Um, you know, he's also a big personality as well. So being able to, you know, see that on the WWE stage is, is, is going to be really a fun thing to follow. Uh, so congratulations to him. I mean, one of his dreams, he said, growing up as a kid was to be able to sign with the WWE. This summer has been quite a, has got to have been quite a whirlwind for him, you know, winning Olympic gold and then achieving your other dream of, being a future WWE wrestler. So good for him. Good for the sport of wrestling all around. Everybody's talking about it right now. Uh, exciting times for sure. Yeah. I think it really uh, exemplifies like why the, like the way that the NIL is set up 
is like the perfect solution to the whole like debacle of like should college athletes get paid because that was like the very argument is like how do you pay how do you pay you know everybody equally how do you make everybody feel like warm and fuzzy inside because obviously the star quarterback is going to get paid more than you know the the you know got on the wrestling team and and then here's a here's evidence that uh, obviously that's not the case. So, so that's pretty cool. It's a, that's a very cool story to follow. Yeah. It's going to be fun just because the, from the entertainment side of things, it's going to draw more fans to the sport of college wrestling this season. Those WWE fans are now going to be watching every Minnesota match that they can get their hands on. So that means big 10 networks going to have a big push. Uh, the, I mean, the tickets potentially for the NCAA championships are going to have a big push because everybody's going to want to see Gable Steveson, not just because he won an Olympic gold, but because of the WWE as well. It's going to be a great, uh, it's going to be a, a great boost for the entire sport all, all the way around. It's going to be great. Well, that will huge do it day. for huge day, <laughs> huge day for wrestling. Well, that will do it for this week's edition of the Crash Course Podcast. Thank you, everyone for watching um remember you can follow us on twitter at 3c media sports you can like us on facebook crash course podcast go to our youtube channel 3c media we have a lot of content that just went live thank you guys all for your support on all the college football previews as well as um you know the colts preview the 3c media road trip all that stuff is up a lot of fun to do that also thank you guys for all the love on the mct podcast as well those guys are killing it you can watch our podcast their podcast and all the content that we've just put up um it's pretty crazy um the amount of content we're getting up also we're on tiktok um some tiktok specific content is up and running so go ahead and check that out 3c media on that platform as well remember you can interact with us on twitch Twitch.tv slash Craig Crash. You want to tell us uh, your opinions in the chat. Dusty here, as always, was asking about uh, if Green Bay uh, forgot to play football. Apparently, they did forget how to play football uh, yesterday. Um, and now I'm uh, kind of sweating bullets because uh, Jameis Winston uh, isn't on any team in, in my fantasy league. So I may have to uh, oh, see if oh, I can. Now, now. Now, yeah, yeah, exactly. Got to right, right. Now. <laughs> get that you waiver claim said, going. Put it out in the universe, and somebody's like, "I'm, I'm doing it now." Right, go get Jameis Winston now. Um, so yeah, go go ahead, come over and interact with us in the chat, and then um, remember that you can listen every week on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever uh, podcasts can be heard. You can hear the Crash Course Podcast. B Scott, where can they find you? Uh, you can find me at Brandon underscore Scott eighty seven on Twitter, and also let us know what you guys are thinking about our, our high school football coverage. We're really trying to get a lot of high school f- football scores out there, promoting some of those teams, those players and everything. If there's a team that you would like to see us interact with more, uh, let us know for sure. and we'll, we'll start getting more involved with those teams as well. But uh, something that's something we're trying to get more involved with. So let us know what you think of that. And if, if there's anything else you would like to see from us. 
Yeah, that, I mean that's that's a good call by you for for saying that because yeah, we are trying to amp up our coverage a little bit on that side of things. So yeah, if it, you know if there is any school you want to see covered or any content you'd like to see, let us know. You can also follow me at Crash Course FM. We've got a big podcast again next week. We're going to be talking about um, among other topics, you know, the Purdue uh, game against Notre Dame. We're going to be you know getting into that as well. So more football coverage as well as some other things uh, on the docket. So it's going to be a lot of fun. We hope to see you there, but until then, have a good week, everybody.